What's up, everybody? Welcome to Theology in the Dirt. Here at Theology in the Dirt, we make it our aim to practice our theology in the public square of our homes, our city, and our world. We're pleased to be coming to you from the worldwide headquarters of Global Impact International Restoration Rome at 1400 Crane Street. You want to check us out, restorationrome.org. It's a great time of the year to make extra contributions. Don't do this uh, instead of giving to your local church, but if you are a Christian and are participating in your local church and give there regularly like you should be doing, we'd love to invite you to give extra to Restoration Rome. You can do that on the website, restorationrome.org, during this Christmas season. All those funds go to do the incredible work happening here at Global Impact International as we address the foster care and adoption crisis from the Floyd County, Northwest Georgia, the state of Georgia, and the United States of America, and even around the world with TBRI Global, Texas Christian University, Care and Purpose Institute, Child Development. Great things happening, and we're absolutely pleased to be part of it. And so our theology is in the dirt right here at 1400 Crane Street, and we like to talk about topics too. So good morning, Chris. How are you today, my man? Doing well, man. Good to be back after a little couple weeks off. Hope you had a good Thanksgiving. Yeah, man. Thanksgiving was pretty nice, dude. We we did... Uh, we did a little trip to Dollywood for my birthday. Nice. If you haven't been to Dollywood, I'm just going to give you a walk-in uh, living, breathing advertisement. Dollywood's legit. That's quality stuff, man. That's a cool it place. I, the, I think their coasters are better than Six Flags. Uh, and nowhere can you get cinnamon bread like you can at, Do- <laughs> at Dollywood. And listen, man, the old man in me kicks in because you can find a little concert venue with some Southern gospel going on. Nice. Get you some cinnamon bread. Go get sick on a coaster. Sit back and listen to some Southern gospel music. Put on five pounds of that cinnamon bread, a <laughs> hot cup of coffee, shed a tear with some Beulah Land going in the background. Nice. That's a good day right That's there, That's hard man. to beat, man. That whole Pigeon Forge, Gatlinburg area, man, there's just so much to do up there. And that and plus Dollywood, yeah, that's a good area. They have a Fuddruckers there, too. Oh, I didn't know there was many still I miss Fuddruckers in Rome, Georgia. That's that, after church, Fuddruckers was always fun, and the boys mm-hmm. saw a Fuddruckers sign. It was after a long day at the Dollywood, and we hit up the Fuddruckers. Nice. That was a good time. That's good eating. Yeah, it is good eating, man. Well, hey, let's uh, get to some news. All right, Chris. Um, I have I have two pieces of news. That I'm really like struggling. Struggles. That's overstating the case. I'm not struggling. <clears throat> I have two pieces of news, and I got to decide which one I want to talk about. There's the uh, the railroad union potential strike that Congress has intervened. The Biden administration, Congress, kind of forcing the railroads uh, to work. Um, and that's interesting. The railroad unions were set to strike back in September. Biden administration negotiated a tentative deal, including 24% raises. Uh, four to 12 railroad unions uh, rejected the deal primarily because it didn't include paid sick leave, and they set a strike for December 9th. But D.C. is not okay with the strike because of the cost of the economy being somewhere around $2 billion a day. So the Biden administration asked Congress to intervene. Congress did. And so pretty much forcing the railroad unions – to work. And so um, I'm torn. I'm all about workers being treated appropriately. 24% raises a lot. I'm trying to think from the perspective of uh, being part of running, uh, being a board member, starting nonprofits and other organizations. 24% raise to a lot of employees is tough. It's hard to run a business when you have an all of a sudden 24% increase 
uh, and labor cost. I'm not saying people aren't worth it, but uh, yeah. that's a lot of money, and you got to get that from somewhere. Like you can't just. We're not like the American government. We can go print money that devalues the cost of currency. Money is yeah. what it is. You only got so much. That and then the college football playoff expanded twelve teams for twenty twenty four. Chris, that's your news. So I'm going to stick with my news. We didn't discuss our news. Actually, telling Chris a cool story about the Mercy Me and Vody Bauckham and a great song. I was in the room. I got to hear a conversation that some fool like me should have never got a chance to hear. But we were talking old school Christian music and um, we didn't talk about our news, but <laughs> I think as a Christian um, looking at the railroad strike, uh, I'm torn between the role of government and the role of the private sector and business. Um, should people receive a fair wage? You bet. I think the Bible's clear and not to take advantage of workers, not to take advantage of people um, on the part of people who have, uh, means and are capable. Um, I think the Bible's pretty clear about how we treat employees, about how we treat workers. And at the same time, I know growing up in a household of a of a father who was part of a union um, at a major corporation who worked for that company for 48 years, um, the stories of how that union robbed that company blind. Um, and if you threatened to break ranks with the union, they would literally come after you. They might kill you. Mm. That's true. Yeah. I, I've, I've heard stories. I've watched things happen uh, inside my house uh, from an inside the union perspective. I'm not a fan of unions. I know this is probably going to make a lot of people mad, but I'm not a big fan of unions because of what I saw in taking advantage of, in my opinion, a very generous company, and we were glad to be part of that company growing up. Uh, it was great provision and uh, – so anyway, all that to say, I'm not quite sure how I feel about the government stepping in and forcing compliance on the part of people. Um, I'm not sure how I feel about that. Yeah, I'm I think just being honest. I don't have a conclusion. I'm just saying that's the news, and that kind of bothers me a little bit. That's a really tough tightrope to navigate in that situation because, yeah, you want fair wages, and you want to make sure people are taken care of. Um but you're right, you can't just come up with 24% across the board out of the air, especially when the cost of goods is way up, the cost of shipping and getting in supplies is way up, the cost of property taxes and land and all those things. And I don't know how much all that affects has affected the railroad industry, but I assume it's affected it just as much as it's affected pretty much everything else in any right. industry right now. I would imagine, the, I don't know if the railroad, this is actually, I don't know the answer to this question, does the railroad own the property that the uh that tracks sit on or is that federal property? My hunch is that's federal property. It's not owned by the individual railroads. Cause I think yeah. whether it be BNSF or the BNSF is a sound company. Uh, uh, oh gosh, what's the, the I see the train every time it passes, it's BN something or other. And right. uh, all the different railroad companies use the same track. So my hunch is that's federal land. And so uh, does the, do they pay fees to the feds for use of those tracks? Like, how does that, cause they're all, all manner of costs. Like there's no end to cost. Mm -hmm. And I think, I think uh, for me, the, the government stepping in because the government taxes those companies, the government taxes the employees. So it's source of revenue for the government. So the government's got all manner of reason to jump in. Um, so yeah, I, I, I don't think I'm a fan of the government jumping in there to play the role of ensuring it doesn't lose any more money. And uh, I, I think uh, 
I think the railroads and the employees need to be left to work that out. But when the Fed starts jumping in, you know they have an, an interest in there somewhere, and it's probably not for the good of the employee or the company. I don't trust my government. Until the government can prove that it can run its own things well, I don't know that they have any business trying to run other things well. That's a truth bomb. That's just my, my two cents on it. <laughs> That's can, a truth you bomb. You can agree or disagree with that, right. but... Um, the Pentagon is missing, like they cannot account for, what did I see? This is another piece of news. It's trillion. No, it's what's trillion. It's some odd billion dollars. Uh, they can't account for the spending of some odd, some god awful amount of billions of dollars. And I'm going, if the Pentagon's accountants cannot account for money, billions, we're not talking about 20 bucks. Right. You know, the uh, secretary down the way. Or even like thousands of bucks. Yeah, the secretary <laughs> down the way was taking her you know, office employees to lunch, you know, on the Fed's dime. Right. No, we're talking billions, and I'm going, but you want the rail, you want to jump in the railroad. That's that's a little bothersome to me. So I'm going to get off my soapbox on my government. No, that's probably good. I'll I'll be quick on mine. So in honor of this being conference championship weekend in college football. Go dogs! And in honor of um, a cousin of mine who played football at the University of Georgia, passed away last night. Uh, oh, was a, you know, DGD there. So good. He was dealing with some medical issues for a while. We weren't that close per se. He's more like a second or third cousin, but just a man of God. He's with the Lord today. He loved mm-hmm. loved his family, loved Jesus, and loved Georgia football. I'm sorry for that loss. So That's I appreciate bad that. News. Um, so in honor of him, I went the sports route today. And as you mentioned, the college football has decided to expand to the college football playoff to to 12 teams starting in 2024, 25 season. And so that's, I mean, that's not next year, but the year after that, that's coming up fast. It was, we knew this was coming. I mean, they've been planning this for a few years now, but the fact that they moved it up so quickly, um, it really says a lot about a lot of things. But um, so the first round, first round will take place at the home field of the higher seed or at a neutral site of the higher seeds choosing. Um, and I guess that's for the case of if you, you know, if your stadium only has like 50,000 seats in it, you might want a bigger venue. Uh, I don't know if they'll put some regulations on that, but the thought of like Sanford Stadium in Athens or a Neyland Stadium in Tennessee or LSU, like some of these Ohio State, like some of these big schools hosting playoff games, 100,000 people is a pretty cool thought. Yeah. Um, as, as opposed to just the alternative sites, you know, and then the, so the, and then the, what they need to do is if we're going to go 12, though, I think the power five conference champions have to get automatic bids. Yeah. I think if you, no matter what your record is, if you win the conference championship, that should mean something. Right. Especially if it, if it can hurt you from being in the playoff now. Right. Because like, I mean, I think Georgia and Michigan are in no matter what happens tomorrow. I think TCU is probably in, the, even if they lose, unless they just get blown out by 50 or something like that, which I don't think would happen. Right. I think so. I, I, I don't see a route for Bama to get in this year. And maybe that's why they're pushing this because they want to make sure Bama's in there. Right. Um, except all the Bama fans won't agree, but yeah. y'all do get some luxuries that not other schools get. Yeah. Uh, but granted, Georgia's getting in that that category too. Clemson's been there, Ohio right. State. So I think the biggest schools are going to basically they're going to get a free ticket into the playoff from now on once that starts. Because it's, I mean, if you got two yeah. losses in the SEC, yeah. you're probably getting in unless there's just a slew of other undefeated and one loss teams. Like right. you play the, that gauntlet, especially with SEC getting Oklahoma and Texas um, in this in 24. Right. So like you're going to add those two teams, those historic. Great programs, and they both are pretty terrible right now. <laughs> they are, but they're probably gonna. Right. I mean, Texas. What's with Texas is money. 
and it, it may depend on if they either have the coach right now or if they get the coaching right there. Right. They're going to compete once they get the SEC. They have out. a Manning yeah. that selected Texas over Georgia. Yeah. Yeah. Which is probably, for him, is probably smart because they'll probably play yeah. there right away. But yeah. all that to say. Um, we have walk ons that can beat him out. Yeah. <laughs> Go dogs, baby. Go dogs. Yeah, so our, we'll our walk-ons are better than your five stars. <laughs> so, to, no, uh, I'm gonna stop so for all the for all the sports people who were glad that we went away from the sports hot sakes, sorry for today, but I felt like that was important news. That's big yeah. news. The, the revenue that's going to come from that. Now you're going to be competing with NFL playoff schedules. So people, I mean. Winner go home football games at, at college or pros are always going to do yeah. really well on TV. I, I feel like one of the trickle uh, down effects of the twelve team college football playoff is the increased number of games because you know the SEC and these the the, the big conferences are not going to lessen the number of games they're playing. They're not going to go to a ten game schedule. They're going to keep a twelve game schedule. And I know for programs that compete and are perennial winners. Um, they don't practice easy. They practice very hard. Yeah. Georgia has they call Bloody Tuesday. They hit and they hit and they hit and they hit. It's called Bloody Tuesday for a reason because it it's physical. Mm-hmm. Um, you can't play that violent sport without being physical. This is why NFL football probably for the first six weeks of the season is horrible because they're not allowed by the players' union to have enough padded hitting practices. Like if you watch the NFL routine, Monday is kind of like eh. mm-hmm. Tuesday's film. Wednesday's practice, Thursday's walkthrough, Friday's preparation. Like, they don't practice in the NFL anymore like they practice in college not, and high not school. Not with that, all that contact, yeah. Yeah, not, not with that kind of contact because with that kind of speed and size, you just simply can't. I mean, you could, but you're going to severely decrease the longevity of an NFL player's career, and it's already decreased as it is. A lot of these guys come in, their body only has so many snaps on it, and I'm talking high school, college, and football, and, yeah. and professional football. And so watching my high school athlete come home after a game and just be wrecked, high school game, and, and he's, a, he's, a, he's an elite athlete, be wrecked, I'm thinking – 12-game regular season, 12-team uh, playoff, that's a lot of snaps. That's a lot of practices if you're going to compete highly at that level. And I just wonder downstream what the effect is going to be at multiple levels when you start taking snaps off of bodies and what that's going to need require for roster sizes. Because current roster sizes, scholarship levels at the college level, Probably going to need a few more. Bo- you're going to need a few more bodies. Yeah. Which right now, I think one of the great trends in big time college football is preferred walk on. Mm-hmm. Preferred walk on gets money. They get name, image, and likeness, and they're not. They're not. Uh, they're not. They're part of the team because you have to have depth. Because the yeah. transfer portal. Here's a little piece of information for you. A little inside information. Can't tell you where I got it, uh, but I can tell you this is accurate. As of yesterday. And this morning, there are 2,000 kids in the NCAA transfer portal. It's the most it's ever been, 2,000. What that means is all these programs are they're needing to look at these kids. Is this kid, fit, does, they, does they fit our program? So what that means is downstream from that is high school recruiting is totally different. Mm-hmm. And so what that means is you have to recruit for depth. Uh, you have to find gyms. You have to find that hidden kid, that kid that doesn't have any stars but can play football you got to stack a roster because chances are three and four kids above him are going to transfer because they're looking for a chance to play. And these kids are looking for a chance to play. They're going to put snaps on their bodies. And you increase the number of games they're playing, um, you're increasing the number of money that you're giving them. You're increasing the number of money you're going to need to 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 have them on your roster. So I, 
I love it. I like I like more competition. More competition is good, but it also is not just going to be more teams get in. It's how much money is it going to cost? What's it going to cost these players physically and for their future? And so there's a lot to think through there. And so mm-hmm. it's actually pretty big news. It is. A little shameless plug here. Last piece of news. Congratulations, Addison Ray Hayes, my daughter, received the Eagle Awards this morning at school. I just got a picture texted to me, taking pride in her school. Way to go, um, Addison. So she's getting a shout-out on the on the uh, podcast today. Way to go. Way to go, Addison. Congratulations. <laughs> That's solid gold stuff. Well, guess what? It's time. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, may I have... Your attention, please. It's time for the final countdown. The show starts in 10, 9, 8, 7, Thank you, voice, for coming in and always being a fan of the show. We appreciate your introduction. It's always gold. Well, well, today we're gonna we're gonna talk about um, as we as we move through uh, move through the holiday season. We're gonna be talking about multiple things, but today we we had the idea of talking about discipleship. Discipleship is a, an important topic for the Christian because uh, Jesus' invitation to us is not merely to avoid hell, Jesus' invitation is to come follow him. And when you pay attention to what the Bible actually says versus sometimes, unfortunately, really bad evangelism is 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 this, this Bible that we have teaches us that the life of a Christian is more than avoiding negative consequences at the end of life. It is more about the proactive, positive living a certain way and empowered to live a certain way now um, because because there's more in play than just eternity, mm-hmm. and and so having said that, I, I think it's it's important um, for people. If you're listening to this podcast and and you're, I don't know, maybe you're not, maybe chances are the only people who do listen to this podcast are Christians. Chances are there aren't a lot of non Christians who check out theology in the dirt. Maybe there are some who who do, but I think it's important for us to not miss the reality that. Um, the Bible, this gospel, this good news, this thing that the Bible says is good news, is is the good news um, of the kingdom of God. And the Bible presents Jesus as the king of that kingdom, the creator, the eternal God. There are no other gods. There's one God, and, and, and this God is triune in nature, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One God, three distinct persons. Uh, each person separate, each person different, but one God. This glorious mystery that is called trinity is is what is who the bible says is god and jesus is presented as the king of his kingdom and this meta narrative of creation fall redemption and restoration that this one god created all things and because of sin at some point angelic beings rebelled and and this leader satan injected lies into adam and eve and adam and eve believed the, believed those lies and everything broke and everything fell and as a result mankind was at war at enmity with god and there's this counter this dark counter kingdom 
But in the fullness of time, Jesus, the eternal Son of God, comes and he enters time and space, taking on the flesh of his creatures, and he lives perfect, sinless life, dies in the place of sinners to satisfy the wrath of God the Father at sin, so that anybody who comes after him and believes him and becomes his disciple has that penalty revoked, it's taken away. And they are given all of the righteousness of Jesus and all of his all of their sin is taken away. And they become citizens as daughters and sons of God of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And and that doesn't happen at the end. That happens now. That's available to anybody now. So this idea of discipleship is not just avoiding negative consequences because of sin later. It's receiving adoption as daughters and sons of God and following in the footsteps and life of Jesus right now. And so that's a huge deal because what has been lacking so much in our Western concept of our Western applications of Christianity is robust discipleship. We have a ton of uh, church framework, church culture, and church culture is predicated on who's got the coolest stuff, who's got the biggest ministries for you to take advantage of, who's got the the coolest worship service, whose preacher is most entertaining. Like It's consumer-driven. And we got enough statistics through Barna Research to show that, that that has produced zero cultural impact. And what we find is shallow Christians who are biblically illiterate, um, who are pulled back and forward by cultural trends, not informed by Scripture. And so I think discipleship is a... Very important topic. What is discipleship, and and how do we affect our culture now? How do we do theology in the dirt in such a manner that we actually bring effect and are not just a, a subset off the radar that's irrelevant to cultural trends because we're pursuing spiritual wares for our own entertainment? Yeah. No, I, I, I agree 100%. I think... You know, this, as a church, discipleship has to be woven into like everything we do. It's it has to be part of your church's DNA, um, and frankly, the church that's not doing that is not being obedient. <laughs> but I think plain and simple. I mean, you're, you're in disobedience if you're not practicing discipleship. And the, some of a lot of the churches that are doing that now, some of them have very structured plans. Some of them have very have no structured plans, and probably everything in between. Right. Um, and so I think that's part of it too. Is is the, for, if you do have a very structured plan, what does that look like? Is it, and, and what do you? How are you defining discipleship, and how is that playing out? And right. Are you only limiting that to pastors, which is not simply the role of the pastor to disciple others? We are. I mean, literally, the last thing Jesus tells us from before he leaves this earth right. is go and make disciples. Um, right. I, I, I decided to break up a couple of definitions real quick. I know you've got a big yeah. uh, part of the content, but I think it's important to kind of separate. So. A disciple, um, someone who's following Jesus, being changed by Jesus, and is committed to the mission of Jesus. So that's what a disciple mm. is. Uh, Matthew four nineteen can give you more there. Uh, discipleship is the state of being a disciple and making more disciples. Right. Um, which leads into the next one, disciple making. Um, and, and this is kind of where we'll spend a lot of our time today. A disciple maker is a disciple of Jesus who enters into relationships with people to help them trust and follow Jesus. So disciple making is entering into those relationships. And I like that definition, entering into relationships to help people trust and follow Jesus. Yeah. Out of Matthew 28. I think that 
really accomplishes it at the core. That can be a lot deeper than that. And um, but really, it comes down to those relationships and the purpose of those relationships. Man, that's solid gold. That that's good stuff. And um, if if you're listening to this, I I think it would be really important for you to hit that little back squiggly thing with the ten in it, ten seconds, maybe a couple <laughs> times, and listen to that again because that's absolutely huge. And and I think it introduces for me the reality that discipleship is a complex lifelong thing mm-hmm. um it is not simple at all however i think that the lord gives us enough simple framework to fit all of those good things in yeah because i think we could go on every page of the bible and pull out principles of discipleship how to follow the god of the bible in obedience and and which 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 leads me that word leads me to I, I think the the place that I can best sum it up and this is actually how we say it in in our church. Um, this is not the definition of discipleship. It is a definition of discipleship because I'm very complicated. I'm verbose. Uh, I like I it. I can squeeze a simple concept. <laughs> that makes up a, a, a subject and a verb and maybe one adjective and a simple sentence and turn it into a five-page paper. I'm exceptionally verbose. So this helps me to take this very, I think, complicated, lifelong journey of following Jesus. And I say complicated because every page in the Bible, and you've got some stuff, you've got some principles that you've pulled from from Scripture. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think what... What helps me is how Jesus presents discipleship at the end of the Sermon on the Mount in two very broad categories. It's a very simple framework in which we can put all of these other components. And and Jesus said at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, um, therefore, in light of everything he'd just been teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, he said, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Because earlier Jesus had told them that unless your righteousness surpasses that of scribes and Pharisees, you're not going to come into my kingdom. And their righteousness was built on earning favor and points with God. And and Jesus is telling them that that's not how this thing works. I am the king. I am the one you come after. And so I'm the one who's going to pay all of this for you. And he taught us the purpose of the law was so much deeper than just don't commit adultery. He said it starts in the heart. It's not just don't call somebody bad names it's murder starts in the heart which is a problem they can't fix his whole thing is you need a new heart Mm -hmm. well he came to provide a new heart and so jesus has summed this up therefore in light of all these things i'm teaching you what it looks like to live as a citizen of my kingdom he who hears these words of mine and does them yeah they're wise and they build their house on a rock so that so that when anything comes at life a life comes at you anything difficult the rains and the wind um the judgment of god um your house stands because it's been firmly planted on the rock. But then he goes on to say, but if you don't hear and obey, you're like a person who builds a house on the sand. It's shifting. It's going to break down. And so for me, it's very helpful to take these two massive yet simple concepts, hear and obey, as the building blocks, the foundation off of which to build life discipleship. He who hears these words of mine and does them. And so he said, you build a stable house there. And so with the analogy of building a house, hear and obey is the foundational framework off of which you begin to build a stick structure or concrete block structure 
that's unshakable. And so for me, this idea of discipleship begins with hearing God and obeying Him. And and what's crazy is even even to become a Christian, you have to hear the gospel and repent of sin, hear and obey. And so for me, it really boils down to these two big concepts, hear God and obey God. Now, <clears throat> we talk about hearing God, that becomes a very complicated thing. It starts by hearing the Bible. That's where you begin. But then there's a relationship with the Holy Spirit. Like Jesus promised to give me the Holy Spirit. Who's going to remind me of everything he's taught me? Mm-hmm. That means I'm going to have to learn to hear <clears throat> the Holy Spirit and distinguish the Holy Spirit from my own thoughts, from your ideas, from somebody else's ideas. So con- hearing can get complicated as we walk with Lord because it's a lifelong journey of growth into maturity. You know, Paul told Colossians, our aim and our preaching is to present everyone mature in Christ. So there's a maturing process for a disciple, learning to hear the Lord, learning to listen to the Holy Spirit. But it starts with the Bible, so hear and then obey. That is do what God says. Don't do what Chris expects. Don't do what Mitch expects. Don't do what anybody else expects. Do what God expects. Obey him. So hear and obey. And so if we can take those two things and begin to build the framework of our lives on hearing and obeying, we're going to have, as the Lord says, um, we're going to have an unshakable foundation. Yeah, a hundred percent. And I think one of the, the key things there is, you know, we, we, you hear the phrase a lot, selective hearing right. applied to lives. I think what we don't realize too is we're often really bad at selective obeying. Mm. It's like, oh, oh I'll, I'll obey that piece of scripture because it's easier. It's more convenient. Um, you know, and, and churches, I think oftentimes are bad at this. And this is where it gets dangerous. It's, uh, and it's important to pull out here, I think, to help people understand it's not, you know, evangelism is incredibly important. Yes, we, we need to hear the Lord, we need to obey, we need to, we need to worship him and make him known, but it doesn't end there. And I think that's often, it's not our responsibility to save people. It is our responsibility to share the gospel with people. Right. But what happens after that? Right. You know, and I think as I kind of equate it, I like the house analogy. I also equate it to like family as a parent. If it's not just my job to make sure my child is fed and clothed and has shelter, if I leave it at that, I'm not parenting well. Right. I'm, I'm providing those basic needs, but my job is much deeper than that. Mm. I also never agree with okay. My when once you turn eighteen, you're on your own. Like my parenting doesn't stop at eighteen. Right. My it, the look how it looks and feels changes, but it's my responsibility as long as I'm alive, as long as my child is alive, yeah. to continue to nurture that relationship to help develop, help point. I'm not res- completely responsible for every decision that my child makes. But I can certainly help pour into that, and I feel like the same is true with believers. We can't just be like, okay, you're saved now, good luck. I mean, how are they supposed to grow, right? I I teach my child how to walk, but if I don't teach them how to drive and how to make good decisions and how to fend for themselves and how to protect themselves and how to deal with relationships and hurt and all these different things, they're they're not being trained up. Yeah, there there are stages even to physical life. Like, you're exactly right. Everybody, we're in that stage. We've got 21, 19, about to be 20, and 17, about to be 18, and you never stop parenting. And everybody above me, friends, people, they got kids in their 20s and 30s, and you don't stop being a parent because – you know, when you you gotta you gotta take your older kids, you gotta teach them how to pursue a spouse. They're gonna learn. They're gonna catch that, but they're gonna you're gonna have a different stage of a relationship in which you become friends. Now you're a parent, but you're also a friend. You're a mentor, and you're like, no, son, she can't come in my house, <laughs> or this is the kind of girl you you need to look for. And we've been we, we've been teaching those things, but now it comes into practice. Right, like there are young ladies coming around. And 
There's discernment that needs to be had. There's decisions that need to be made. And, and, and so I'm parenting. The parenting never stops. No. It's just a different phase and a different level of maturity. Um, and man, that, you're right. And so discipleship's the same. Mm. We're going to be growing in our levels of maturity um, from the time we meet Jesus to the day. And, and, and by the way, I've, I've had older, wiser people tell me this, and I think it's true. The last lesson of discipleship we'll learn is how to die full of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And so everything between rebirth into the kingdom and dying full of the Holy Spirit, unless the Lord returns first, is going to be a, a lifelong series of discipleship lessons. Well, and I feel like, you know, and I'm sure you would echo this as a, just because you are a pastor and, you know, doesn't mean that you don't need discipleship either. Like, in right. fact, you might need it as much, if not more, to make sure. And yeah. we've seen the dangers um, of that role come to light a lot the last past year or so. So absolutely. not with you, per se, I mean, just in general, yeah, especially absolutely. we talked about that with the SBC and everything. And so, yeah. I mean, it's you never stop discipling others, yeah. but you absolutely never. And I'll get to this point later with, with one of my crucial characteristics, but you've got to continue being a disciple and a follower Yes, first and foremost. Yes, absolutely. There's never a place where a disciple arrives until they have laid aside this earthly tent, as Paul called it, and are with the Lord. Um, and and <clears throat> I still, yeah, I'm, at some point, somebody's going to have to teach me how to die full of the Holy Spirit because I don't know how to do that. I'm going to have to learn that. I'm going to have to see that modeled with people. Um, somebody's going to have to tell me teach me how to do that. So I need to be discipled. Um, I'm, we're entering a new phase of life. You know, we're going to be close to the empty, the old empty nest. So what do I do? I don't know. I need a Christian to help me. And so I have, I have relationships of older people in my life who speak authoritatively into my life and, um, and disciple me in those things. And, and, um, and I'm hoping, and I hope I do. And I meet with young men. I pass those things on. Um, it is a constant life of learning to hear the Lord and obey him at every granular moment in life, because there's no place. I think it was Abraham Kuyper who said, there's nothing in all of created order over which the Lord Jesus doesn't say mine. And so how do I take what belongs to him? How do I hear him? And how do I obey in seeing that under his Lordship in my life? That, that is a, that is incredibly simple to say and incredibly complex to live out. Yeah, it is. And, and you know, it's important to realize you, it's not your responsibility to go and try to disciple the entire world. I think right. it's, that's very important too. It's better to have few deep relationships as opposed to numerous shallow ones. And I think Jesus, um, Jesus is the example for everything we're going to talk about. So if you don't take our word for it, just read and watch what Jesus did. He never stopped praying and talking to the Father, so he was constantly being trained while on the earth. And then he, I mean, if the king of the world only chose 12, and then even within that 12, deeply really poured into three of those 12 That's more right. so, we don't feel like you have to, you know, disciple your entire church. Right. But but be intentional, choose wisely, yeah. and then pour into those people, invest in them. And also realize they're investing into you as well. That's right. That's right. You, there, there's a component of, and, and man, you can even get down into the granular level of um, who to spend time with. Um, one of my, <clears throat> one of my, my spiritual fathers, um, who I actively have an ongoing relationship with, um, he told me many, many years ago, um, 
if you are in a position of being any kind of leader, um, two things. You need to spend time with other leaders and lost people. Those are, those are the two categories of people you need to be spending time with. And then the people you spend time with, if particularly other leaders, if they're not willing to get in on your schedule, like don't bend your schedule. Don't stop running. Keep running. Run toward the kingdom. Um, then don't give them your time. So that's how you even pare it down is like who's willing to bend themselves around you and where you are to come learn from you if they are giving your time. If not, that's how you say no. And so you can even get down into things like that, just a practical wisdom on who do you spend time with, who's willing to come and spend time with you, who's coming willing to to sacrifice in order to be where you are. Give them your time. If not, don't give them your time. And so um, and, and, and even that, how many of those are there? You know, none of yeah. us are Jesus. And and so part of it is just straight out of the Bible. You probably can't do more than, definitely can't do more than 12. Mm-hmm. And inside that 12, you probably can't do more than three of effect. And so, and the key is not getting overwhelmed. Oh my God, that's not a lot of people. No, but if everybody, mm-hmm. if every disciple is taking their discipleship seriously, every disciple's probably got three, should have three. Somewhere that they are investing in and or are being invested by that person. So the key is not thinking that we are the end all be all. Right. We're just one person. One person. And so I think I think people in spiritual leadership get themselves in trouble by thinking they have to be everything and do everything. No, you don't. That's a lie from Satan. That's a lie of American corporate greed. You're to be a disciple, you have a job to do. But you're not to be everything. You're not Jesus. Nobody's Jesus. There's only one Jesus. There's only one God. And our job is to simply be obedient to do the simple one or two things he's given us to do. Mm-hmm. The, we just do it in public. Yeah. And we try to set the pace and put some kind of organizational structure around it. Beyond that, you do those simple things. And if everybody else does their job, and everybody's being discipled and discipling. $64 question. Why is it $64? What? I'm old enough to remember it used to be the $64 question. It's probably the Mega Millions question right now or whatever. I don't know what it is. But the $64 question is... Inflation kills us all, man. <laughs> inflation kills us all. 1974 has come into live when I say the $64 question. Um, is is everybody in the organization doing that? Mm-hmm. And and that's that's the big question. Yeah. Well, and, and to start with one, I, you know, the, the Lord is telling us to do this he's going to put people in your path so i think that's the start is just pray and ask hey right lord who who would you have me disciple mm-hmm. it's as simple as that it doesn't need to be like yeah you don't need to do all these graphs and charts and analysis of you know right. is who's in your circle yeah who can you invest into you don't have to go up to him and be like I'm going to disciple you. Right. Like, because that's really weird. That gets awkward. Yeah. Um, if somebody says that to you, you probably should run the other direction. That's really, really weird. Luke, I am your discipler. Um, <laughs> doesn't need to be, they start using weird voice. Big voice comes to you and says that. No, right. but, but that's, but it's really it. I think that, so I think that's what we're trying to convey this morning is it doesn't have to be a complicated process. It can get there, but, yeah. but that's, comes later in the relationship. Like, yeah. In fact, to give you an example, we're reading, I, the young men that I spend time with, uh, I had them read a book called Hearing God by Dallas Willard. And and uh, if you think hearing God can't uh, be a challenge, just read that book. I, and I think it's a primer. I think every Christian ought to read the book Hearing God because Willard forces you into the comp- complex realities of inner life. 
And inner life is a challenge because there are multiple voices that come our way on a daily basis. Is, does God send those? Do they come from the Lord? How do you discern what's from the Lord and from, not from the Lord? Do you know how to read your Bible well enough to actually hear the voice of God simply by starting by reading the Bible? Are you reading the Bible? I mean, it, it, get, it yeah. can get very complicated. So I had them read, so you're right. It can get down the stream, but it just start there. Start simple. Who's in your circle? Begin spending time with them and intentional time with them and help them learn to hear the Lord and then follow up in obedience. If you can do that, you're well on your way to a, a life. And this is not a six-week program. This is a lifetime. It's from rebirth, believe the gospel, to crawling into the casket full of the Holy Spirit. And, and, and that is an incredibly, I think it's incredibly simple and incredibly complex. Those two paradoxes, both of those can be true. 100%. Yeah, you just gotta gotta go, and if you don't have time, you need to prioritize it. Yes, that's right. So you got some stuff, man. You got some really. You're really good about putting the same letter in front of words and making them sound awesome. I, yeah, I don't have the alliteration today, but I do have five crucial characteristics of discipleship. I, see, even your title is five <laughs> crucial characteristics. I guess there is, is a little bit. There's there. some alliteration. That's, they're beautiful. Five delicious dimes of deli- discipleship. He's <laughs> <laughs> a football, football analogy. Dilfer's dimes. So, oh, uh, yeah. Passes. Um, so five you, delicious dimes. If you drop a dime in football, that means you threw a great pass for those who are sports illiterate. Yeah, and if you don't know that, you repent and go watch some sports. <laughs> yeah. Five delicious dimes but of discipleship. I try to break it down because I feel like those are easy to remember and to stick with us. So this, so I'll kind of go through these one at a time, and you can give me some feedback on them. But the first one, and we've kind of hit this a lot, is relational. Everything happens in relationship. Break bread together, pray together, encourage, hold each other accountable to sin, share and trust, genuinely care about the other person, including their family and the things that make them who they are. So discipleship isn't simply about just about Hey, what did you pray about today? And what what are you doing? How is your walk with the Lord? Don't get me wrong; that's incredibly important. But right. you need to be caring about all of them. How's their How's your family doing? How are you as a husband or a wife or a father or mother? Um, show empathy and compassion. Practice humility, and then walk in love. Uh, John thirteen thirty four and thirty five. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Mm-hmm. That's a very clear statement from Jesus there. That so to disciple and to be known as a disciple, we are to love each other, and we do that through relationship. Mm, that's solid, dude. Absolutely, it does. It begins in relationship because we're birthed into relationship with God through Jesus Christ and given the person of the Holy Spirit to walk in relationship with. So our, we're birthed into relationship with God. And and therefore that relationship carries off into other people, and, and, and I would even go so far it goes down into the makeup of created order. God being trinitarian in nature, not unitarian, is by definition relational. So relationship is divine; it's holy, and and as a result, image bearers, and we bear that trinitarian image, were made to be with each other. Which is why, even outside Christianity, by the way, everybody disciples, every organization, every worldview is discipling other people, and it always happens in relationship. Mm-hmm. And so, which is why it's natural. It's divine. It's truly divine. The question is, has it been redeemed? And 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 for Christians, it, relationship has to be where it starts. I, I'm 100% believing that because it's built in Trinitarian nature of God in us as image bearers, and so it has to be in relationship. It's the only way it can happen. 100%. 
Uh, number two is intentional. Um, and, and so while you don't necessarily need to go through a specific book together or use an elaborate curriculum, those things are great and helpful. So use them if you can find them, but, but you don't have to right. do that to disciple. That's right. And so, but you do need to be intentional, uh, be purposeful, um, plan ahead, study, read, pray, prepare good questions. Um, and this, this transcends even outside of like, that discipleship relationships, the best leaders I've had, the best bosses or mentors are people. Whenever we would meet together, they came with a plan. They came, they had, yeah. they had thought, they had prayed through the thing, the questions they were going to ask me and then how to follow up with that. Like it was very clear. Right. This wasn't like, a, Oh, I got to meet with that person today. Uh, hey, how's it going? Like it just wasn't that there was a, there was a purpose there. Mm-hmm. And so when you go and you meet with someone, have that even if even if it starts more surface level because again relationships take time to build right but be intentional even at a at a higher level and then as you get deeper um your intentionality should continue to grow it's huge i love it absolutely intentional yeah dude (laughs) i i could do like each one of these could be sermons (laughs) yeah i agree i think i think you have to be intentional you have to be intentional about scheduling time you have Mm -hmm. to put it on the calendar have to stick to it i think it needs to be scheduled also the intentionality also needs to have longevity built into it also yeah. i think one of the things that ends up happening is people get all fired up and they go flash in the pan and in six weeks this thing is dead and, and one of the things i try to do with the young men i spend time with is we are at a pace that can everybody can manage mm-hmm. because flash in the pan discipleship doesn't work um there needs to be a component at which um, these relationships last and they continue. They're, even when the meeting disbands, because part of the thing I, I, I ask these young men to do is what I'm doing for them, they need to be doing for other people. And so that number of people in that group, they need to have that number of people in their orbit. <clears throat> and so at some point, they need to stop meeting with me. And But the relationship doesn't stop. Right. You know what I'm saying? So that relationship continues. It just continues in a different manner. And so, and so in the intentionality behind that of multiplying, intentionality of spending time, intentionality of longevity, man, we can get deep into intentionality, but absolutely there has to be some, it's not just, there's no non-order. God built a universe of order. And so there's no such thing as non-order. Non-order even has order in it. It does. It's, in, it's impossible to not, it just is what it is. And so there's already, you know, people talk about, man, you just, you just, you just kind of go with it. Well, to go with it, you had to get up, you had to go to the bathroom, you had to consume some kind of liquid so you're not dehydrated, you probably put food in your body. Even non-order has orders. There's no such thing as non-order. So it's either implicit or explicit, so you might as well get explicit with it. Right. And then get somewhere as opposed to just drifting somewhere. So just just like if you're what, the agnostic or atheist that believes in nothing. Like your belief in nothing is a belief, <laughs> so right? You're still believing that. that anyway, that's right. yeah. another thing. Uh, an honor, right. honorable mention characteristic that didn't make the fold here because yeah. I wanted to keep it to five, but you kind of hit on that would have been lifelong. Yeah, I, I'm kind of assuming that in this yeah. thing is it's this is not a all right, man. I give you six months and then you're on your own kind of thing. Right. It's it's a lifelong. Just as we used a parenting analogy, yeah. This is you're in it, for, be in it for the long. Now you you're not responsible if that person yeah. leaves and doesn't fulfill their end but hey let me just and let me just say this and i think it goes to this is why church relationships are so important this is why they're also can be so difficult and hard is because you don't just leave 
you don't just leave. Yeah. Um, there, there are some bedrock people in my family's life. You guys are part of them. You've been part of our lives for a long time. You don't leave. You stick it out. There are hard times. There are hard seasons, but you stick it out. <clears throat> and so when churches can figure that out and stop shopping each other and shopping relationships because we're sensitive or we go do something stupid with ourselves and wreck ourselves, but if we will stay with each other, receive correction from each other, receive love from each other, that builds a natural web of lifelong discipleship. And so there, and, and truth be told, there are more who leave than who stay. Yeah. But those who stay, man, you go to war with. Right. And 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 that's that oftentimes it's that consumer mentality. I'm not getting what I need here, so let me go right. somewhere else because that has cooler this or yeah. better this. Or and and, and, and I mean that's and let me say this. Y'all included and another family, they haven't given me permission to say their names, so I'm not gonna do it. Um drive further than anybody to be actively involved in the life of this church and in our lives. And there are people who live a lot closer who are a lot less committed. And so I, I, there's no such thing as if you're committed, you're committed. If you're not, you're not. But there are people who drive a long way to be involved. Yeah. So it's lifelong. There's commitment there. So, yeah, it, yeah. so I'm going to stop there. I might start crying. <laughs> I might get emotional. <laughs> but at the same time, too, it gets frustrating because I'm like, man, it's just models of commitment. And so when people yeah. talk about, man, well, I just, you know, I needed uh, a little something more. I needed to be a little closer. I'm like, come on, man. And people drive from a different freaking county and have been doing it for pretty near 20 years. So anyway, I'll stop before I offend somebody. <laughs> All right, number three, um, holistic. Um, I think too often discipleship is strongly focused on theological training and evangelism. And again, that's, those are good things. Don't hear me wrong, but it has to be more than that. It's, it's being a disciple of Jesus affects every per, every area of a person's life, the head, the heart, and the hands. And it includes and goes beyond just a curriculum or a program um, inside and outside the walls of church building and it impacts jobs, families, every aspect of life. So when we, when you're in it with someone for discipleship, that's be there for all of their needs, all of who they are, not it's not just a uh, an educational training piece. That's a big component of it, but it's you're shaping and molding the heart, the head, hands. You're helping them become better husbands, wives, mothers, fathers, sons, daughters, friends, coworkers, and so on. Because as we draw closer to Jesus and we improve that part of our life, that's improving every aspect of our life. Absolutely, you can. We can be theologically orthodox and practically mean as a snake yeah and and holistic looks like your orthodoxy not just being orthodox in the things you think you ought to be orthodox in but also orthodox in your love because um and and that and and don't hear blind acceptance of everything that's not what love means that is love is holy meaning there are standards yeah right so chris if you're wrecking your life it would be love to say chris stop wrecking your life Mm -hmm. Okay, I'm going to make you stop wrecking your life now. You're not going to receive this as pleasant. Oh, feel good. Yeah. But I'm going to I'm going to try to help you not kill yourself. Uh, and so don't hear blind acceptance of everything, but but I mean, I mean being careful that our orthodoxy doesn't turn into a bludgeon um and beating people up. 
And, and so man, deal with that sometimes in younger disciples, man. I, we call it cage stage, right? They, they truly should be locked up and not allowed to have too much interaction with people because they're all about, they find that one thing that they're most passionate about and find some sliver of it in the Bible. It's like, oh my God, this is the, 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 the truth. And everybody else who's not in this, 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 this truth, just a bunch of morons, man. You need to get obedient to the Bible. What's wrong with you? I'm like, hey, cool your jets, man. Yeah. Like, do something. I always tell people with passion, like, show me by doing something other than opening your mouth. Yeah. So do something. Yeah. And well, when you do something, then talk to me. Right? But right now, you're just cage stage. And right now, here's a little bone. Let's chew on your bone, but do something with yourself other than run your mouth. And no, no not trying to be mean, but it is no, holistic. It's, it's about the emotional, spiritual welfare of everybody. Mm-hmm. And meaning, sometimes you cool your jets about that thing because that thing is debatable. Yeah, like it, like in our world of reformed and like all that mess, like people are sometimes more reformed than they are Christian, and mm-hmm. and and will sacrifice distinctives. I think they ought not to sacrifice for the sake of a belief on election. I'm like, but why do you want to baptize babies? I know it might make a lot of people mad because they want to baptize their babies. I'm like. That's hopeless Catholicism, man. Baptized in the Reformation, y'all didn't go too. Y'all didn't go far enough. You go read the Anabaptists. I, I get in my church history kick here, right. but they forget about with the thing they're passionate about. They start beating people up over it and then dividing fellowship over. I'm like, man, just stop. So it's holistic. It's the emotional, spiritual welfare and good of everybody, not just you and your thing. Yeah. And so that's immaturity. So anyway, yes. Yeah, emotionally. Mature discipleship and healthy discipleship yep. to bring it back holistic hey. circle, full circle there. <laughs> did, did we talk about that There's recently? Might be a few episodes on that. Yeah, that uh, might be. there's a reason I listed relational first yeah. because if if you don't have the relationship, that holistic part's not going to exist. That's right. That becomes more robust as your relationship grows. Yeah, because there's trust there, and there's that ability to be like, "Hey, Jolly, yeah, I from what I see, this is." This is not good. You That's need right. to fix this, whether yep. it's a behavior or a thought process or even or an action, whatever it might be. Because again, a lot of times we don't yeah. see that in ourselves, or we, we might because our attention might be good. Yeah, but how that is being portrayed might not. That's right. And we all know that perception is reality in this world. That's right. I, I, I'll say this right here. That relation that just because it just came to mind. It's not because I know you got point number four coming up, but mm-hmm. um, get example of uh, a guy who I walk into, he, he disciples me and, and I, I disciple him and sort of mutual discipleship, man. There was just, when I was going through the funk, man, I was not in the right place. I could not evaluate. I could not assess. Um, and I was trying to convince him of something and he just wouldn't let me, he just wouldn't do it. He's no, you're wrong. And I was like, dang. And not dang like, Oh, you're right. It's like, I want to hit you in the face right now. Right. But he was Right. And I was not in the place to see right or hear right. And he loved me enough to tell me the truth and insist on it. But I was committed enough to not walk away. And he was committed enough to not let me walk away. And so I'll say all that, that that component is huge. It's massive, the relational component. Because if that's intact, we can get these things done, including the hard stuff. Yeah. yeah. Last point before I jump into number four. If, if at some point you're not angry at someone you're discipling or being discipled by, or you don't have something that makes you, that offends you, right. you might not be doing it right. Yeah. That's going to happen. Yeah. It's not supposed to meant, right. it's not supposed to be designed to be 
all you know roses yeah. and sunshine and butterflies all the time and i hate that too like i actually hate that stuff like i don't yeah. like that stuff there's no pleasure in that for me i in fact you might even call me conflict avoidant mm-hmm. i don't like it like I, I i want roses and sunshine just like everybody else yeah i want to have fun but there's we got to deal with hard things and if we don't deal with hard things that's dealing with hard things is part of the hearing and obeying yeah that's why a lot of yeah. Churches are struggling because they're not willing to do that because and yeah. they're going to hurt someone's feelings or offend them, and they might go to another church. Yeah, that's like, right. Well, the gospel's pretty offensive. So right. I'll leave that there because that's another ten yeah. sermons on itself. But yeah, that's right. I, I, you're not doing it wrong if there's conflict. That's right. That's correct. Yeah, yeah. Conflict is not a sign of sin against God. Like, and things are wrong. Sometimes healthy healthy conflict is built in relationship is actually very redemptive. Yeah. Um, but the problem is healthy conflict. It's hard to have healthy conflict. It's very hard. Yeah. All right. Next one. Number four, discipleship has to be multiplying. And you hit on this earlier, but discipleship is about about making disciples. However, it's also about making disciples who make disciples. Yes. It's it's a trickle-down effect. It's you're doing a disservice if you're not – if you're training someone or you're discipling them and you're not training them to disciple someone else, either through modeling it for them, yeah. and they're like, okay, I understand how to do this now. Yeah, it's the same reason that you know guys like Nick Saban and Kirby Smart have assistants that go on to become really good head coaches because they have shown the way. They have done it at a high level. They've poured into it, yeah. and now those coaches go and they take. Now they've added their own elements, but they're a lot of the times they're taking that same yep. core practices yeah. that they learned from someone at that level, and they're putting that to practice because they know that's what it takes to be successful. Yeah. So in a similar way, discipleship is multiplication. Second Timothy 2 says, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust of faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Yeah. So you're giving them stuff that's not only it's not only giving them food, but kind of that yep. give a man a fish or teach a man to fish. Yeah. If you teach a man to fish, they can teach someone else how to fish. Yeah. That's right. If you give a man a fish, they're going to eat it and probably not share it. And if they do share it, they're not doing that next person any good so mm. it has to be multiplying and there has to be an, a long-term effect that's trickling down you're you're setting up potential generations of discipleship through your efforts that's huge and and i was in, in multiplying the things you've said already right it's multiplying the relationship and also mm. multiplying all the good things you've said already and the one that comes to mind you said smart and, and saban i'll never forget um i'll never forget uh it was in the early 2000s um Georgia and Alabama squaring off in Athens and all the hullabaloo around Georgia's are they wearing black jerseys are they wearing black jerseys and I remember the moment I knew the outcome of the game if whatever happens Saban's press conference Saban was talking about hand placement and I was going we're, we're about to get a boot in the rear end we're talking about black jerseys he's talking about hand placement well when Kirby comes over from Alabama under the discipleship and tutelage of Nick Saban, he's not just bringing, he's bringing everything he learned. And so he's, the multiplication has taken place. And what he brought was the hand placement. Yeah. He, he brought the attention to those, those processes, uh, the intentionality. And so it's multiplying, multiplying the intentionality. It's like, we're going to be talking about hand placement because that matters for linemen mm-hmm. where you put your hands. And therefore, Kirby brought a whole different level of discipline. but So it's multiplying, and it's multiplying everything upstream. 
And you can believe Dan Lanning is doing that in Oregon because he yeah. learned because he learned Kirby, who right, learned, yeah. And so it's everything upstream. So you're multiplying. Where do you multiply all the stuff? Everything, all of it, which is why it's disciple discipline. It's a ship of discipline. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, my last one. I didn't have like one word that really fit this well, so I'm just uh, going with two words: inside out. Uh, one cannot lead and disciple another without growing themselves. Uh, mm. The first and foremost responsibility of a disciple maker is to be a disciple. Follow Jesus first. Be discipled by someone else. Grow. And as you grow, it will help others grow. Uh, as Christ changes you and draws you closer to himself, then you can help others change and draw closer to him as well. And in John 8, we see this in verses 31 and 32. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Um we have to walk with Christ before we can help someone else walk in Christ. And we have to continue abiding in him and walking with him in order to have an effect on that person. And it should be a two way door. Like it's, yeah. it's not just the more mature Christian disciples, the the less mature Christian. And it's one way it's, if you think you don't have something to learn from someone who might be not as mature as you, you know, that's pride. <laughs> that's arrogance. Really. Yeah. Um, I can't tell you many times like that's, happened in my life or just you know investing in someone and i'm like man i'm learning a lot from this whether they have just that hunger or they just have a good way of saying it there's always something to be learned and so but we have to be it has to be an inside out approach that's good man that's solid listen we've given a lot to think about here and uh there's more even i want to say uh i'm enjoying chopping this up uh maybe one of my favorite podcast we've ever done in the history of our little podcasting here we're up into the 60s now of theologies in the dirt and so uh this has been a lot of fun um chris you got a final word real quick i'm not going to read all this i just as i wrote that last point about inside out i just kept i was just drawn into the image in john 15 uh, when Jesus says, I'm the true vine and my father's the vine dresser, every branch in me that does not bear fruit takes away. But really getting into verse four, abide in me and I in you. This branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. Mm-hmm. And I, that just stuck with me, the idea of, man, if I'm a branch that falls off from that tree, zero fruit can I bear. We have to abide in him in order to make disciples we have to be disciples. So I know I hit that point again, yeah. but I just think that's so crucial. That's why I put it last and not first is abide in him. And, and if you want to bear fruit, you have to cling closely to him. Man, solid. Absolutely. Uh, no better word than to end with John 15. Mm-hmm. Um, Jesus was very clear and uh, fruit, the fruit of discipleship will happen. Here's a crazy thing. As you brought up there in the scripture, we don't have to make it happen. We don't have to make no. it happen. It, it just will happen if we, are in Christ and we remain in him and we are his disciples. We learn to hear him. We learn to obey him. He will get that fruit done in us and through us. And I've yet to see any fruit tree straining to produce fruit. It just produces because it's wrapped up in, connected to the life-giving juices of the trunk divine. And that should be freeing. All you have to do is hear and obey you do those things, which sounds simple. It's not always simple, but hear and obey and then trust the Lord for the outcome. You're not responsible for that. That's exactly right. Well, guys, we are always 
grateful for you listening. Thankful for you being part. Thanks for your emails, and thank you for giving us suggested topics. It's an absolute joy to see those things. And man, we got a list of stuff that's uh, that's in, and uh, almost a limit su- limitless supply of topics we can talk about. If there's stuff you'd also like to send us, you can send it to theologyinthedirt at gmail dot com, and we will work our way through those topics. Um, if you attend Three Rivers Church, just hit Chris or myself up, and uh, we'll write it down and we'll talk about it. Also. You guys have a great rest of your week. Hopefully next time we come to you, it will be with an SEC championship. Go dogs! See y'all next time. Out.